Welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles, a podcast about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Each week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a generative AI platform for virtual CISOs and security experts. For years as the general counsel for various startups, I suffered from what I call the security questionnaire problem. So one day I figured that if no one else was solving that problem, I would. I started this podcast much the same way. And then I went running one day and I tried to find a podcast on virtual CISOs. And I found only two. So just like how I started ClearOps, I thought I would start a podcast about virtual CISOs. Today, our guest is Stefan Lesseroux. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Pleasure. Nice to meet you. Hello, everyone. Um, to get us going, please tell the audience your background and where your passion for cybersecurity came from. Uh, so basically, from a background perspective, uh, I'm, I have an engineering background, robotics and peripherals. Uh, that's the formal training. I've been doing IT for the past almost 30 years. Uh, give and take, uh, been through various, uh, initially I started in the systems and data centers, that's the background. So eventually moved through the, uh, through various roles from networks to uh, applications and uh, eventually ended up in the identity and access management space, API security, application security, and uh, work for government organizations or commercial organizations in various industries, uh, specialized in financial sector since I've spent a lot of time there. Uh, from and worked for as a client vendors and service providers, which is currently the role there is with Evident. Uh, it's one of the managed security service providers. And uh, as part of that, essentially, I wear the CISO hat for the Canadian division. And I'm the day job is solution architect, slash security architect, and I am specialization. Okay, can you go into a little bit more about what you what you're doing in your current role? What you just said, but expand a little bit more. Right. So from a uh, from a CISO perspective, essentially, I deal with anything that uh, pertains to compliance for all the acquired entities. Uh, so basically, on the North American market, the organization grew through M&As, and uh, that's basically one of the areas that, from a legal perspective, to your uh, point, Grant, from the background, uh, obviously, uh, all the due diligence and everything that's being done throughout the process, uh, cyber security is one of the items that's... Uh, Normally, not necessarily forgotten, but it comes in uh, in the last mile. So essentially, uh, there was a need to cover the the actual role. And as we uh, move through the uh, through the past couple of years, since I've covered the area into the uh, Canadian side of the business, uh, the virtual CISO part of the uh, business came about because same as us, there is limited capabilities or limited bandwidth. And from a role perspective, it's hard to find the uh, knowledge, expertise, and everything else that's uh, required for the role. So it, uh, it made sense we do have that offering, but it's just uh, a, uh, the service that's sought after and essentially does require specialized expertise. And working with the legal teams, that was one of their areas that they were uh, seeking also uh, legal expertise, if you will. But uh, they are very, fairly uh, rare to find uh, legal cyber experts. And that essentially, if you complement the legal part with the CISO part, it kind of, it blends the two areas. So the cybersecurity with the legal, and that's pretty much the perfect combination, if you will. Uh, and it makes things simpler and uh, everything evolves smoother. And uh, it's just easier to deal with all the areas to cover from a risk or risk mitigation perspective. Well, 
obviously I like that you said that because that's really where I focus right now for my career. But um, okay, so you're at an MSP that has a virtual CISO side to its business and you're also the the chief information security officer for them. Tell me how those two intersect or, or in your day-to-day. -day. So basically from the internal world perspective and based on my background and what I've done for the uh, throughout my career, uh, I do have the expertise, this subject matter expertise into various areas in the cyber space, uh, identity management, like I mentioned before, and app security and the rest. Uh, that's basically the uh, functionality, the function, the, the, the knowledge that came in handy when uh, we're dealing with the CISO role internally. Uh, and it made it simpler from a uh, due diligence to point mm -hmm. the gaps or areas where we need to uh, to move faster or uh, cover cert certain like training or whatever, what have you, uh, from the process perspective on the MA side. And with the BCSO uh, part of it, basically we realized that from, from an offering perspective, if a client needed the actual capability, they couldn't either get an individual or they had an individual that needed help. So we realized that there is a gap that needs to be filled in terms of the market. And uh, essentially it's just to quote unquote, lend the brain. So we do have the expertise in house to uh, offer the uh, consulting advisory services. And it's just could be fractional, could be uh, year long, whatever the, whatever the need is. Uh, but it does provide the, uh, from our end with the background of the company, Essentially, it's providing the ability for any smaller company to cover all these areas that the regular CISO role would cover and essentially mitigate the risks that would an enterprise would be exposed to. And essentially prioritize investments or help them along the way of uh, moving towards better security posture as a result of audits and things of that nature. Right. Right. I, I mean, you're, you're the first person I've talked to who's at an MSP, who's added virtual CISO services to the offering. And one question I'm really curious about with this approach is, did you use existing employees who had advisory or consulting expertise to open up, you know, the virtual CISO um, business? Or do, are you bringing in consultants who maybe had their own VCSO firm to help with the clients who are seeking the VCSO services that you offer? So it's a combination of the two. Uh, it basically okay. depends on the bandwidth and the pipeline. Uh, the priority is in-house. Uh, there's a consulting and advisory capability that exists in-house, and that's what we start with. But obviously, if we exceed that, it's the usual. We have partnerships with various uh, providers that have the offering, and essentially, we complement that. Uh, ideally, just because from a business continuity or, if you will, pipeline and business development, it makes sense to have our own capability. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just basically prioritized based on the client and size and everything else business-wise. Uh, but like fantastic or any other function that we're performing, essentially it's just uh, elastic, if you will, quote unquote. Uh, if the bandwidth is exceeded, we'll just pack, bring in. And essentially, if it's just something that grows, for example, for a particular client and they want from just the couple of months or a fractional DC so to a full time, then it's just a matter of finding the right individual. Yeah, that makes but, sense. And then for, for you specifically, does having that advisory and consulting side to the business help you in your own role as the CISO for Evident? Like, do you, do you get some of the, um, 
the the market you know the the perspective of the market that kind of that you know that consultants have because of their ability to serve multiple clients are you getting some of that as a benefit yes yes I, definitely like even in my previous roles as a vendor right although i was for example specialized for certain products or areas uh, having the market coverage and having the ability to gauge uh, either adoption or see where some of the market trends are heading to or what the issues are mm-hmm. does help a lot. And even for our own processes, that's one thing throughout the past couple of years since I've held, a, I, I wear I wore the CISO hat, if you will. Uh, that's one of the areas, even from advisory role, when I go talk to clients uh, as an external facing function, uh, basically that's one of the areas that I benef- benefited from and is beneficial to both the clients and ourselves because we have, let's say our processes structured a certain way from an MA perspective mm-hmm. and we're to MA clients where I provide the, the consulting or we have the workshops or we're discussing with them and essentially their processes are, for example, better than ours, let's say, or we have certain areas that uh, we feel they do better or they feel we do better. So we blend the two and we they both we both benefit from that approach. So we were able to tailor and adjust our processes and uh, workflows, if you will, and same for the clients, or if we actually have situations where the clients are doing way better than the market trend is or mm-hmm. the general baseline is, we actually tell them that upfront because it's one of the uh, factors that does benefit them and it's just eliminating a lot of the friction or noise, if you will, and it allows them to move faster from a uh, like MA particular. I've noticed that's one area that everyone is concerned about just because of exposure, liability risks, and so on with the new entities and the existing existing ones. But at the same time, um, we did benefit with the, in a couple of instances and we picked up a couple of cues from uh, our clients and we are able to adjust internally with what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's really, it's really fascinating to think about how you've, You've been, you're at a fairly established company that decided to open up a new business line. So this is kind of entrepreneurial and a little bit risky and that your role is right in there, right? Of of helping this company start up a, a new business line. How has that been with that? I mean, I, we've already talked about the double hat, but that aspect of it, of, of kind of you have what most people say, you know, corporate job kind of thing, but then also being on this entrepreneurial spirit component. As someone put it internally, it's like it's a couple of billion startup. Uh, so <laughs> it's already a unicorn, if you will, by standards. But uh, at the same time, it's actually funny you mentioned that because essentially one of the challenges we have we've seen is like it's it's the the established business and the velocity existing client base and everything else. But at the same time, it's just that startup mode where we're trying to pretty much get out of ground. And from a brand perspective, that's also something that not necessarily helps with the cause, if you will. So it's a, it's the usual challenge to establish the brand, make sure you're actually, you have the background and everyone understands where, where the company is actually coming from. It's not just uh, happened overnight, but it's, it's just, very challenging at times to essentially when you're fighting clients or trying to sell the service and so on. Uh, it's actually quite challenging because that's one of the, um, the personally, it's one of the challenges I've seen over the past couple of months. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see how the, uh, the whole process goes. But again, any, any, 
regulatory hurdle or anything that's coming in the way, if you will, uh, like we've made an announcement on 180 from last year's, for example, direction, mm-hmm. uh, that's actually impeding in terms of how the business grows or how the business moves. And existing clients may decide to basically wait and see and uh, until the, the things settle. Or if you are trying to go after new client or new service in the existing client base, in the existing client base, we sometimes face some, uh, not necessarily, I wouldn't say the cold shoulder, but basically we have to prove ourselves again. And that's that's fairly challenging. To it, your it, point, we're established, yeah. re-establishing yourself, ourselves again, it's not easy. Right, right. So do you have to re- do you have to educate them on what this service is? Is that what part of it is? That's one part of it. The other part is from a uh, from a uh, like you we've seen the uh, other other divestures or splits of companies like IBM Kendrell and a couple of others in this space. Uh, it's essentially the market sentiment. And uh, although the offerings and the services are actually uh, required and needed, and we see the trend and there's, there's actually uh, the visibility, it's just fairly difficult to basically um, smooth out the uh, anxiety, if you will, in terms of the, uh, well, where are going to be in the next five months or where are going to be at the end of the year? Uh, because a lot of the being a company that splits in the in two, obviously a lot of the back offices, back office capabilities, and a lot of the other areas, essentially uh, do have um, some uh, issues with the fact that you may may not have the same traction or the same services offered in the next X months, and you'll have to reshuffle and rearrange, and operations may change, and that that's something that's it's not easy to some some of the more astute clients will point out and it's harder mm. to sometimes convince them that you are the right fit. I uh, I mean, I'm still really impressed by how much you're doing. So where does this drive in you come from to have so much going on? <laughs> uh, with- the established relationships do help. So essentially focusing okay. on the existing base uh, and uh, for me, it's the third time in the past five years when I'm going through this process. Uh, so m I used to work for CA, which was acquired by Broadcom. Then things got divested and so on. So essentially, it's part of the business, if you will. But again, the focusing on certain market segments or certain clients mm-hmm. and then going from there and grow from that point, it's, pro- it's beneficial, I found, over the years. Okay. Otherwise, things do not really work well in short term. Uh, and it's just basically a dip. But it's just, can you take that particular financial hit, if you will, and recover? Or is that something you need to complement or establish new services and pretty much boost the sales, if you will, to compensate for some of the lack of confidence and diversify rather than focus? So I think from our perspective and what I'm doing, the focus would be on sell what's on the track, if you will, quote unquote, and do what you do well. Uh, keep doing that. The clients would would have that confidence, and the, from the once the things settle and the market sides of the actual uh, process and everything on the business company wise established, we we can act- actually expand. But for now, it's just essentially one of those things trying to stabilize. And uh, if you like, you've been through programs and implementations and so on, but it's kind of stabilize the what's there. Uh, make sure you have the capability and delivery. Uh, options and deliver constantly at the quality you did before. Mm-hmm. Keep that constant throughout the process. And once things settle, it's essentially clear 
clear sailing, if you will, and it's simpler to 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 that diversify the service and the offering. Yeah. And so you you identify this this need in your client base. What do you, what would you say the clients value right now in terms of the services that you're providing and and kind of what they're seeing in the industry and and how you're how you're uh constantly adjusting and changing to meet their 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 needs. I I think one of the I and I I've I've talked to various clients before and after. So one of the things that's valuable and they a lot of the organizations that I've discussed with and even peers in the industry, uh, the visibility that's offered with the service, it's really valuable. The ability to prioritize what things, where things need to be done or mm-hmm. addressed uh, in, in terms of priorities in based on whichever regulation for the respective industry. Uh, but just having the visibility and the ability to decide at any given point in time and be quote unquote audit ready and see that prove that you have some roadmap uh, on the horizon and you're acting towards a certain goal, it's really valuable. And that's something that a lot of clients I've talked to and we have found valuable. Mm-hmm. It's something that's uh, from a service capability perspective, if you do not afford or cannot afford to have someone or even in the, uh, organizations that have the individuals just argumented that capability and not spending tremendous man hours on, let's say, tasks that are, could be automated with the service, uh, it's really valuable because essentially, instead of focusing on sifting through a lot of information, to your point, clear ops, you have the AI part, but again, machine learning or any automation does help because there's a lot of information, a lot of uh, noise, if you will, and then it's everyone that's asking for more budgets and everything else, but it's not necessarily that. What's mature in one organization is not necessarily applicable to the other. So just having the the ability to have the visibility, having the direction and understanding where they are and what's important, what's not important to that particular organization, it's really valuable. And just having that clarity after discussing or offering the service, even assessments and things of that nature, it's it, a lot of clients find really valuable. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, I, I, in talking when I talk to clients um, about their cybersecurity programs and what they're doing for their clients, um, a lot of times what what you will see is that they, um, you know, specifically that that they're asking, well, what what do I implement and how do I implement it and will you help me implement it? You know, and I, I imagine with the fact that you're an MSP that you can say here's where we need to get your cybersecurity, here's the strategy, and here's the actual implementation, and we'll help you do both. There must be a lot of value to them that they kind of come in with this comfort level of saying, not only am I going to understand the value and the strategy and the program that we're going to implement, but then you're going to actually help me implement it. Correct. You're absolutely yeah. right. That, that's one area that does help. And again, one of the, like from, from a personal perspective, what I've seen area, uh, clients being very successful if they own the governance aspects of it, and they have that in-house knowledge and the ability to essentially uh, align multiple vendors, multiple providers, and so on. Uh, but they have the the vision, if you will, uh, that's being shaped by all the um, the partners into mm-hmm. the delivery. It does help. So obviously, being an MSSP, we can as- assist with delivering. We do deliver services already for those organizations, but just complementing certain things or just discussing with them what's the best path to address uh, the task list that comes as, as a result of all these services 
if we can do it, great, we'll help. Or if we need to essentially just because there's an audit coming, for example, we can add to their resources to augment and get past that stage. Mm -hmm. Or we can we do that service, we'll just focus on the areas, agree with them, focus on the areas that require the immediate attention and the priority, and then kind of go through the task list and eliminate what's important and what's critical and then focus on the rest of it and see where things can be done better and yeah. the processes along the way. Super fascinating. And I, you know, I did focus because of the podcast name is VCSO Chronicles. I focus mostly on your VCSO services. I would love to also maybe in a future podcast, if you're willing to do it, talk a little bit more on your CISO side of the hat, but we are running close to time. So I'm going to give you a couple of quick fire questions or I, well, I will ask them quickly, but you can answer them for however long you would like to. So first one, what is your number one security tip, tip that you tell your friends at social events? So understand what's your threat landscape. Understand what are your weakest and lowest denominators, if you were, or the weakest link. And understand that you need to, from a maturity perspective, and I don't personally like that term, but from a maturity perspective, there are areas that are important to one organization, but may not necessarily be important to another one. So when you are looking at that landscape and from a maturity perspective, you have to realize what's important to you as an organization. If you're in a financial service or government and so on, if you're dealing with data or you're dealing with identities and things of that nature. So essentially, when you are looking at the investments or prioritization, just realize where the focus needs to be and then focus on that area and prioritize accordingly versus just trying to, one, either cover everything, boil the ocean, quote unquote, mm -hmm. or the other part going for things that are not relevant to your organization or your industry. So it makes it makes things simpler and it's pretty much the low hanging fruit, if you will, and the biggest bank for the investment. Yeah, love that. I mean, everyone should have a customized security program, not not an out of the box solution. <laughs> Definitely uh, something we believe in at my at my company. Um, okay, so any favorite cybersecurity or business book, podcast, website that you go to that you would recommend? Um so basically, I deal with, I, I work with IDSA, Identity Defined Security Alliance. I like that approach because of my identity and tax management background, but it's essentially identity defined, as their name says, uh, security. So basically, even data or identities themselves, they're actually some way or another intertwined, and it does cover the space. So that's one area of the uh, space where I do like to, and I participate, I do a lot of zero trust uh, activities there, and I'm leading the working group. But essentially, that's one area and one one uh, organization I deal with. ISC Square, just because I'm certified with them and I've, I've helped them volunteer along the way. They have really good initiatives and NIST and a couple of others from a standards perspective. And living in Canada, I have to watch some of the European guidelines and the Canadian ones, so kind of blend and offer the guidance across the board and getting the best of both worlds, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I assume that's Pipita... Uh... GDPR and what's the other Canadian one that I is is um no anyway I I we are running out we have run out of time unfortunately so um I would love for you to give you tell the audience where they can find you where they how get how they can reach you I can be found on LinkedIn uh Stefan Saru um, I do participate, like I said, in ISC Square, uh, IDSA, and uh, if there's anyone that wants to DM me on uh, LinkedIn, be happy to help.
Well, Stefan, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really interesting discussion. And uh, I'm going to ping you in the future for another one. So audience, look forward to that. If you are listening, you can find this podcast on uh, Substack and on Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. Thanks again and talk soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone.